Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Happy Father's Day to all of the fathers in this house today. We greet you and honor you in the name of Jesus. I'm very thankful to have had a father to lead me in the right path. And uh, it's not just days like this, but certainly days like this that underscore that void and absence. And so we just give honor to all of our fathers today and I pray that the Spirit of the Lord will touch us in Jesus' name. I know we have some relatively new fathers in the house today, and so we are very thankful that perhaps you're experiencing this for the very first time. The book of Matthew, chapter 5 and verse 21, if you will join me there, if we uh, can just pull together this morning, I want to conclude our series on the bait of Satan. We have been talking for the last, not 13 consecutive weeks, but we have for 13 sessions talked about this, and we will close with 14 today and ask the Lord to touch us. Now, I need a favor from you. Not that we haven't been talking about some difficult stuff all along, but there is a tendency that when you hear something that you don't agree with, you just kind of put up a little wall of defense and you just you can still say amen and you can still nod your head but you've completely turned off everything that's coming your way. So I'm just going to ask you today to stay with me all the way because I really feel like and I'll share this in, in more detail later but I really feel like the Lord um, just brought by a very special way a conclusion to this series. And so I need you to stay with me for the end. This is not a teaser, but I just need you to stay with me for the end. So if you think now you can just disconnect and coast till we get there, you're wrong. You need everything that we're going to talk about in order for what we're going to end with to all make sense. that fair enough? Amen. So shake off the slumber. Get focused. And don't count how many times somebody goes in and out or how many times a baby cries. Babies don't, babies don't cry any more today than they did when you were raising yours. Believe it or not. I know that you think yours never cried out. You never had to go in, never had to go out, never had an issue. And uh, I hope you enjoy those rose-colored glasses. Amen. If something's bothering you, move. Let's stay in church. Amen. Don't move churches, just move about the church. Amen. And let's, uh, <laughs> well, that could be taken. I almost offended somebody there, didn't I? Almost offended somebody. The book of Matthew 5 and 21, I must hit the ground rolling. And so let's, uh, let's make our way through here. The verse, uh, I want to begin with verse 21 down through verse 24. Matthew 5:21 You have heard that it was said by them of old Thou shalt not kill and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment and whosoever shall say to his brother Reka shall be in danger of the council but whosoever shall say thou fool shall be in danger of hell fire. So the New Testament didn't come to eradicate the Old Testament. If you follow the principles of the teachings of Christ, it was amped up. <laughs> Amen. Therefore, verse 23, if thou bring thy gift to the altar and there rememberest that thy brother hath ought against thee, 
Leave there thy gift before the altar and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother and then come and offer thy gift. And so today I want to talk to you about um, our main objective in everything that we have been talking about for 13 Sundays. And our main objective today is reconciliation. And I know somebody already raised their hand and their finger and said, but you don't know my story. I don't know your story. But we're still going to talk about reconciliation. We're going to see what Jesus and his writers have to say about it. So hold your objection for just a moment. And let's let the Spirit of God touch us together in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated in the fear of the Lord. From the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus started by saying, Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time. Then he follows it up again, But I say unto you, I know what the law says. But I say unto you. Then Jesus continues this comparison throughout this particular passage of his message. He first quotes the law as it regulates our outward actions. And then he shows the fulfillment of the law by bringing it into the heart. Because what we are in our heart is really what we are. I don't think there's a lot of murderers here today in this particular audience. I'm talking about murderers with our hands. But he said we're going to talk about what's in our heart. And so we got to be careful because they're the heart. Amen. From the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Have you ever said something that went... I wonder where that came from. I can tell you where that came from. And so we got to make sure that we guard our heart. Jesus clearly defines the consequences of this offense in this particular portion of his sermon. And so he kind of illustrates it by making some bullet points, so to speak. He said the severity of holding on to anger and bitterness. He said if you're angry with your brother without a cause, then you're in danger of judgment. And then if you allow that to continue to fester, you're in danger danger of the council if that bears fruit. And then he said if you, uh, by calling your brother Rekha, that means empty-headed or, or fool, it was a term of reproach that was used in the time of Christ. And so if that anger reaches the point where he calls his brother a fool, he said now you're in danger of hell. And so we at first, one step is in danger of judgment, another step is in danger of, uh, of the council, and then now the danger of hell. And so we have to be very careful to realize that what, what we're holding on to is just not going to lie dormant on the shelf. It's going to continue to fester and boil. It's not something we can say, well, I'll get around to that, so we'll just set that up here for the time being. If you set it up on the shelf for the time being, it's just going to start growing and it's going to lead to more and more and more. The word fool means godless. And I think that's what David was talking about when he said in Psalms 14 and 1, a fool says in his heart, there is no God. And so when you call somebody a fool, that means that they are an unbeliever. And so Jesus was showing them this progression. Not dealing with anger can lead to hatred. Not dealing with hatred would put them in danger then ultimately of hellfire. He said, if you remember that your brother has offended you or you're offended with them, then we need to make that top priority to get all of this fixed. Now, I understand that we all live in the real world and sometimes it is very difficult to dovetail these principles in to daily living and have the outcome that we sometimes think about in our dreams and wishes. I was given, my wife and I were given very good counsel by our pastor before we married. And uh, he told us to never go to bed angry. And we have tried very diligently to make that a practice in our house. 
But saying that with your lips and imagining that, sitting in his office, I just kind of imagined how that would play out. That that we would, you know, we would just kind of hug and kiss and everything would be okay. And she would understand that I had been right all along and that she was wrong. And that, I don't know where that came from. I just, and that all would be well. But that is far more difficult to play out. And even when you agree that we need to get this fixed enough that we can go to bed, there have been many nights that I did not hear angels humming in the background. <laughs> Are you with me? You know why, you know why this little guilt, guilty laughter is across this audience? Because you've been right there. You're trying to make it all right, but that doesn't mean that that all of a sudden some Italian band is playing in the background and everything is all is well. Rose petals on the floor. Oh, come on now, you bunch of... Let's, let's, let's stay in church now. He, and so we, we've got to make sure that this is a priority, that we begin to make a concerted effort to fix the things that are wrong in our lives. It doesn't mean that it may all be taken care of in a moment. But we've got to begin the process somewhere. Amen. There, there is a chance sometimes, even that, even though maybe some accusation is hurled your way, there's a chance that you've done nothing wrong. I knew we'd like that part. There really is a chance that we, that, that we didn't do anything wrong. But what's important to understand is right and wrong doesn't really matter. We've got to get to the root of the cause and the root of the issue. It's more important for us to help somebody that's stumbling with something, even if they are in error, than for us to just sit back and fold our arms and say, well, they ought to know me better than that. Instead of letting them struggle and, and, and flounder through life, we need to do everything that we can to say, let's fix this. Let's, let's work on this. Without a doubt, there is an unlimited list of offensive scenarios. And so I'm not going to stand here today for the next hour and try to just go through every possible scenario of things that could offend us. But but many times offenses happen because there is inaccurate information. And inaccurate information given to somebody has yielded to an inaccurate conclusion. Amen. And so what we said may have been grossly distorted once, especially, it is processed through various channels of communication. <laughs> it can be grossly twisted. And, and did you say that? Yes, I said that. But what you have is the absence of voice inflections. What you have is the absence of the mood of the moment. And, and so if you just take, uh, you know, I don't know if you've ever read court transcripts. If you read through those transcripts, it's just black and white. It's just all there. And, and if you take the feeling and the emotion out of it, you can draw one conclusion that may not be all that accurate. And so we have to understand it's possible to intend one thing. It's possible to mean one thing. <laughs> right. I'm looking around. I don't see Sister Patty here this morning, but oh, she's in the out back, I think. But, uh, I remember years ago on a Wednesday night, and um, I don't think she would mind me saying this even if her son's here this morning, but uh, I, I was trying to use an illustration, and sometimes you, this is how quickly you can get in trouble with illustrations, so all of you young guys hear me. And so wh for so, whatever reason to take you into this moment seems even a little abrupt, abrupt or curt, but I was going to say that somebody could look at Sister Patty and just use her as an illustration and think she was and, and understand she's not a total fool. And when I went to say that, I emphasized the wrong word. And I said, they could look at you and tell that you're not a total fool. <laughs> Which kind of changes the complaint. You're somewhat, but not, but not a total. And now... a wonderful illustration has just been shot out of the sky, spiraling down. I'm dying behind this very desk trying to say, that's not what I meant. It is what I said, but that's not what I meant. And so we have, at least she has laughed with me publicly about that. I'm not sure. 
I'm not sure how that played out at home. I'm teasing. But you can, you can say things in the heat of the moment. You can say things under pressure. And others are standing in the way and they felt the brunt of what you said. No matter what caused it. No matter what caused this offended person's understanding to be somewhat clouded. Maybe they base their judgments on assumptions. Maybe they have based their judgments on hearsay. Maybe they base their judgments on appearances. However, we've got to be sensitive to this one fact. Somebody that has been offended believes that they have been wronged. And so no matter what your opinion of it may be, as a matter of fact, no, what, no matter what the truth of the matter may be, we need to make sure that we're going to speak this out. Why, whatever reason they feel that way, we have to humble ourselves enough to realize I've got to do proactively what it takes to at least try to fix this. Jesus is exhorting us to reconcile even if the offense is not our fault. That takes maturity to walk in humility and in order to try to bring about some measure of reconciliation. So Paul, the Apostle Paul says this, Romans 14 and 19, Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and the things wherewith one may edify another. This shows us how to approach a person uh, perhaps we have offended. If we go on with the attitude of frustration, then we are not promoting peace. If we allow something to just keep burning out of control, then we're not the promoters of peace. We're only going to make it more and more difficult in the life or for the life of that person that has been hurt. And you know, here's something to, we really need to understand. <clears throat> We've all done wrong. We have all done wrong. I was walking out of the... Um, I got my hair cut the other day and I was walking out and, and as I was walking to my vehicle there was a man and his two daughters crossing the street and uh, there was someone that he deemed approaching them in a vehicle a little more quickly than he felt like was possible. And so he began to wave at him them, not using all of his fingers, he began to wave at them and just shake his fist and say all sort of vulgar things in front of his two daughters. I thought, wow, what in the world? Just, it's, we've all been there. I thought, sir, surely you have been guilty of doing the same identical thing. She didn't almost hit you. You just assumed that she did. So we've all been guilty. And so if you uh, somebody pulls out in front of you in traffic before you invite them to Sunday school, You ought to ask yourself, I wonder if there have been times I've done this same thing. I wonder if I've been guilty. And so when you realize that we're all human, you can just smile and wave and say, no foul, no harm. Let's just, let's just move on. Well, Brother Boyd, you know, you're just kind of sugarcoating this all down, making it sound so easy from up there. No. But we've got to try to maintain an attitude of peace. And we've got to try to say, I need to do what I can to reconcile. Then, of course, there are times when the, pe the feelings that people have are not misunderstandings. Amen. What they're feeling is true. We did do something to offend them. At this moment, I, I must admit that they are right, and then I've got to seek for forgiveness. Once again, We've got to humble ourselves to try to promote some measure of reconciliation. And maybe that's what Jesus was talking about in these next verses. Listen to this, 5 and 25. Agree with thine adversary quickly, whilst thou art in the way with him. While you're standing right there, that, that's the time to just agree and let's just move on. Lest at any time the adversary deliver thee to, to the judge... And the judge delivered thee to the officer, and thou be cast into prison. Verily I say unto thee, thou shalt by no means come out thence until thou hast paid the uttermost farthing. In other words, he said, if I were to put this maybe in, in more contemporary language, he said, you need to uh, agree quickly. Lest while you're standing there trying to defend some position that you have already admitted you're wrong about, 
that this thing just starts escalating further and further out of control <laughs> because we're so busy wanting to be right. We, we started out humble by saying I was wrong and then we weren't willing to receive the wrath that came with that because some people can say that's okay and let's move on and others really want to make their point. But if you were wrong, you got to just stand up and take the point. And, and let me just tell you that eyebrows will grow back eventually. So just stand there. If they got to get that off their chest. Because he said, if you, if you don't, then an adversary can come in. Now, now you're standing there trying to fix something. Next news, you know, you fix one problem and give birth to two more. Amen. Amen. <laughs> pride. Pride is what defends us. Or causes us to be defensive, I should say. Humility agrees and says, you know what, you're right. I did say that. I did act out of the way. And I need you to forgive me. And so godly uh, wisdom is willing to just yield. It's, ask yourself, is this really the hill that you want to die on? Amen. Really? I tell a lot of young married couples, you can be right or you can be happy. <laughs> Choice is yours. Right people live lonely lives. You're right. You know, you cook your own supper. Wash your own clothes. <laughs> Cut your own grass. Wash your own car. Right people can live lonely lives. Amen. Well, I feel a little spirit of rebellion in this. I'm going to move on. Amen. So we've got to yield. It's not stiff-necked or stubborn when it comes to personal conflicts. A person submitted to godly wisdom is not afraid to yield to another person's viewpoint as long as that viewpoint doesn't violate truth. Now, I'm not asking you to just take some random journey. Now, we have discussed what to do with an, with our, uh, when, when we offend our brother, but let's consider what to do if our brother offends us. Matthew 18 and 15. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. You know, here's what I, I, I'm not trying to just make some segue in here for the validation of, of this particular series. But I'm going to tell you, I am amazed at what happens when we do things the Bible way. If both parties will do things the Bible way, you can come out of an offense with a better relationship than you went into the ordeal with. Many people apply this scripture in, in dip, with a different attitude actually than the one that Jesus is intending because if they have been hurt, they go and confront the offender in the spirit of revenge and anger. And that's not what the scripture is talking about. They use this verse as justification to condemn those that have hurt them. But they're missing the whole reason that Jesus said, go to them, go to them. It was not for condemnation. He wasn't saying, you go and just give them a piece of your mind. What he was saying is, you go and reconcile. Work this out. Work this out. And so he established this pattern. Go to him, show him a sin. If not, to, not to condemn him, not to, but to remove anything that lies between us. Let's, let's iron this out. Therefore, we can be reconciled and our race, relationship be restored. The goodness of God within us draws us and draws our brother to repentance, draws us to a place of restoration and a place of repair in our relationship. The book of Ephesians 4 and 1 the Bible says, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. Here it is. With all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We have a mission. We have a job description. And that is that we are to endeavor to keep the unity Amen. Endeavoring to keep the unity in the spirit, uh, the unity of the spirit 
in the bond of peace. Not just unity of one another, but we need unity of the Spirit. We can all be unified in this building and not have unity of the Spirit. You can have unity of the brethren and not have unity of the Spirit and still not have a positive outcome. So we need this bond of peace to keep that by maintaining an attitude of humility, an attitude of gentleness and long-suffering. Now, I, I have wronged people in my past. And chances are I will wrong people in my future. I have wronged people that have confronted me with condemnation. And during that process of being condemned, I lost my desire to be reconciled. Amen. Others have come to me in the spirit of meekness. And what happens? You have a desire to fix things. And so what I'm saying is it matters what spirit we show up to the meeting in. If we just want to be right, if you just want to be vindicated, then your spirit, my spirit, my attitude may, may absolutely have everything to do with the attitude that I project upon somebody else. That's why the Bible talks about a soft answer turning away wrath. It's hard to argue. It's hard for somebody to argue with someone who won't argue back. But when you keep fueling the fire, fueling the fire, fueling the fire, after a while, that's why uh, the law is called. Because <laughs> you, you keep throwing potatoes, you're going to run out of potatoes. But if the spirit of throwing hasn't left your arm, it's going to escalate. And after a while, something very serious is going to happen. But when somebody has the right spirit, even though we're talking about something very, very serious, if somebody has the right spirit, then we can change our outlook and, and that helps every, everybody sitting at the table move on. We, we shouldn't go to somebody, hear me now, we shouldn't go to somebody that has offended us until we've already made up in our mind that we are willing to forgive them from our heart. And there's the difference in our attitude. If we went to them not sure if we're going to forgive them, we've only gone for a battle. But if we've gone there to truly reconcile in my heart, no matter how they respond, I want to get rid of this thorn. I want to get rid of feelings, of animosity. I've got to rid myself of all of that before I even approach them. Because if we don't, we're going to probably react to negative feelings and, and hurt and more hurt, and, and certainly no healing is going to come to the, to the equation. And now I want to move to the question that everybody wants an answer to. And this answer is really in two parts. What happens if we attempt to reconcile with someone that's sinned against us, so to speak, as the Scripture would say, but they won't listen or they won't receive us? I want to move into one half of the answer right here in the book of Matthew eighteen sixteen. If he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. So there is a scriptural, biblical basis to work it all out. Amen. And you know what? Rarely, rarely, I'm not saying never, but rarely does it, does it ever have to come to this point. If we just start taking the Bible route, more times than not, it will be worked out. Each of these progressions has the same goal. You ready? Reconciliation. We're not there to prove right. We're not there to flex our muscles. We're not there to spread our wings. We're trying to build a bridge. And when we keep showing up with the right spirit, amen, when we keep coming back with the right spirit, that soft answer turns away wrath and it begins to chip away Chip away, chip away. And in essence, what Jesus was saying here is, you, I read it a moment ago, you go to them. Now he's saying if they won't hear you, you take two or three witnesses with you. That By the mouth of two or three, 
Let every word be established. And then if he neglect to hear them, then the church. And if he neglect to hear the church, then let him then be unto thee as a heathen or a publican. And so here's the bottom line. We have to look carefully at the, at the Word of God and realize that God created us and realize that there would be conflict. Oh, yes, there will be. The Bible says, iron sharpeneth iron. <laughs> My brother Joe Osborne is quick to say when he quotes that scripture, iron does sharpen iron, but sparks sometimes do fly. And so if we keep going back with the right spirit, just keep trying. Just keep trying. Look carefully with me at the following scripture. This is where we find the second portion of the answer that we're looking for here today. I believe that God's wisdom is available for us for every situation. So I want to read another passage that we find from the wisdom of Paul. Here's what Paul said in Romans 12 and 18. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, Live peaceably with all men. If. If it is possible. That means it may not be possible. Because there are some people that would much rather fall on their own sword. Than to say I'm sorry. It's true. Sad. But it's true. My, my message to you this morning is don't let that be you. Don't let that be you. He said, if possible. I believe that Paul included that phrase because there are times that some people will refuse to be at peace. He said, then... As much as lieth in you. We are to do everything that we possibly can to reconcile with the other person. We cannot just come to some foredrawn conclusion before these biblical steps and say, ah, forget it. We have got to let the Spirit of God touch our heart, our mind, our soul, our spirit. And if it be possible, the Scripture applies when everything else fails. Now, I want you to hear me. The book of Matthew 5 and 9, blessed, Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. He did not say, blessed are the peacekeepers. Because there is a huge difference between a peacemaker and a peacekeeper. Pardon this illustration. I realize this could go either way to either gender. But just pardon the illustration while I say that a, a woman that just subjects herself to physical abuse in a marriage. May be doing that under the auspices of keeping the peace. Amen. A peacekeeper avoids confrontation at all costs. And just says, oh, why can't we all just get along? Even at the risk of compromising real truth or real values. And so he didn't say, blessed are the peacekeepers. He said, blessed are the peacemakers. Even if a peacekeeper is supposedly maintaining truth, are maintaining peace. They may it may not be true peace. It may not be true peace at all. It's just that kind of touchy feely, superficial surface peace that will not last. But a peacemaker. Now that's an all to gift altogether different cut of meat. A peacemaker is going to go in love. But a peacemaker is a man or a woman that has some backbone. We're going to go in love, but we're going. Because we've got to make some peace here. We've got to bring some truth. We've got to set some cards on the table. We've got to work things out. We've got to figure this out so that reconciliation will endure. A peacemaker desires openness and truth and love. And, and, and they refuse to hide offenses behind some fragile political smile by saying, It's alright. It's alright. A peacemaker says, We've got to get to the root of this. 
I'm not here with a sword in my hand. I didn't come in to get my way. But I came today to say that whatever it takes, if I have just got to hear you out, if I've got to let you spit venom all over me, whatever it takes, a peacemaker. Has your companion ever been wrong about something? And you knew they were wrong? And you knew if you just held on long enough, you could prove them wrong. But you see, there can be a a big thing in between all of that, and that's called time. And where are you going to live? <laughs> what, what nail are you going to hang out on? Until time closes that gap. But if you just want to be a peacemaker, swallow your pride. And say, this is not a, I'm sorry to keep using this terminology, but this is not a hill I want to die on. This is not worth all the angst that's in our home right now. Let's just, let's just move on. And you know what? You have to not only do that with your lips, you've got to do that with your eyes as well. You can't just give them some smirky little look and just shut up. Because <laughs> companions can read looks. They don't just hear. They can pick up. They're very intuitive. And so, you got <laughs> we, we haven't been arguing this week nearly as much as I'm letting on. Have I? There's a lot, of, a lot of people reading something into this. What I'm saying is, is that a peacemaker says... I've got to do whatever's necessary. And sometimes what's necessary is to, I don't like this word, but sometimes what's necessary is to shut up. Just hush. And just move on. And you know what? Give God a little bit of time and it'll all wash out. And one day, they may even come back and say, you know what? You were right about that. Now don't break out your dancing shoes. (laughs) Just let that be a silent victory. You start dancing, now you got another problem. <laughs> and I don't have time to get into that today. But he will, a peacemaker will not compromise truth just for a relationship. Because we got to get to truth. And so they seek reconciliation with a true commitment, not, not just some superficial thing. And so that develops that true, true bond of love that no evil can separate. And so remember, the bottom line to all of this is the love of God. And the love of God is the key to the freedom that, that we're talking about to stay out of this trap right here. I got to keep out of that. I got to keep my foot out of that trap. That must be an abounding love, a love that continues continues to grow and so many in our society today are deceived by a superficial love a love that talks the talk but does not walk the walk a love that keeps us from stumbling lays down its life selflessly even for the good of an enemy amen when we walk in this kind of love we cannot be seduced into Taking the bait of Satan. Now, I'm closing, but I want our musicians to stay where you are for the time being because I don't. I just want you to to hear me. I've I've talked for 14 weeks to say what I'm about to say. Several weeks ago, Brother Bobby Gibson Jr. called me, and he said. <clears throat> I have a thought I want to share with you. He said, you've been teaching a lot about forgiveness. And he said, I have a thought that I just want to share with you. And, and he, he did. And uh, I, I was sitting in my chair at home and I wrote that down on a little post-it note. I stuck it in my iPad and a little while I went over to my office and I began to think about the magnitude of really what he shared and I, I called him back or sent him a text and I said, I believe at some point I want to incorporate this into our Bible series. And then I later told him that I wanted to use this for a conclusion. 
And so I share this with you, and, and I'm, I'm giving him the credit here. If you haven't been willing to, to hear and or receive anything else that's been said, I, I just want you to hear this because I believe God brought this to this moment. Many of you know the story of Job, a wealthy man, a godly man, who that in just a matter of a short period of time lost everything he owned, including his children. Seven sons and three daughters. In the throes of this trial, and we and if we are ever going to comprehend the magnitude of this story, then we've got to get Job out of out of some fictional Bible character role and bring him into real life. In the throes of this trial. Job's wife, who we have horrifically picked on through the years, got transparent enough to say something loud enough for someone to transcribe it. Not so that we could now hold something against her. She said something, any wife or anyone would have the ability to say. And she said, why don't you just curse God and die. Why why don't we just pull the plug on all of this? So before you hang her by her earlobes, you need to realize she lost her children too. She had a right to feel how she felt. Now, here is this two-edged sword that I want to present to you that is the potential of offense. Two-edged sword. One edge is the potential of offense of Job against his wife because Job was an upright man, eschewed evil and loved the Lord. And he could have said, you know how I love God and now you've asked me to curse this very God. Job could have been offended against his wife because of what she said against his God, or their God. The other side of that equation is that Job's wife could have been offended because she, because Job chose not to curse God when he said, well, you speak like a foolish child. You're speaking foolishness. Well, she could have been offended because, remember, while she's saying this, she could have been very well looking over the shoulder of Job at ten tombstones. And now Job has said, you're speaking like a fool. When she could have said, then turn around, Job. Turn around. Can you count to ten? Because there's ten tombstones back there. This was not a statement made in haste. This is a heart that's bleeding. And so, Job could have been offended with his wife. Job's wife could have been offended with him. Offense of this nature can interrupt the flow of intimacy in a relationship. Stay with me now. However, when God was restoring Job and his wife, children were also a part of this restoration process. Job 42 and 12, So the Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than the beginning, for he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, a yoke of oxen, and a, and a thousand she asses, verse 13, with just eight words convey something so powerful. And or the Bible says he had also seven sons and three daughters. Eight words, just boom. It's very important to understand something. The Lord didn't just create eight more children and drop them in their home. There had to be a restoration of intimacy between this relationship. Hear me now. All along, it was God's will in the mind of God when His children died and everything went flying out the window. God knew, Brother Reddy, at that moment, I'm giving Him back double. And He knew in His mind, I'm going to give you your children back, Job. 
But God placed Himself in a position to yield to two different things. One was that it was the design of God for man and woman to come together to have children. And so He wasn't going to violate His principle of creation to just whoof children into their life. The second thing was He relegated Himself to the will of Job and his wife. So here's, I said all that to say this. Go ahead and hold on to your offense if you want to. But you are most likely going to interfere with what God is trying to give birth to in your spirit today. Because God wasn't going to override His design and He wasn't going to override Job's will nor his wife's will. And so they could have had all their sheep and all their cattle and all their oxen, all their money, all their houses restored and their house been as quiet as a ghost town. She on her side of the house, he on his side of the house. And God would have never interrupted it, even though it was His will to restore them completely. Amen. So when you let go, you may release God to give birth to something you never dreamed would happen. When Job's wife let go, I say this with great deference to anyone who's ever buried a child, but when Job's wife let go, she finally got to have something to look at, Brother Rayleigh, besides tombstones. She finally had something to count besides losses. And today you may be standing and all you can see is tombstones. I'm not kicking you for that. But what I'm telling you is that if we keep standing in the bait of Satan, he'll see to it that nothing is born in our spirit. And you know what? He'll let you keep going to church. He'll let you keep clapping your hands. He'll let you keep raising your hands at all the right motions, all the right moments. But all the while, God is saying... If you will, I will. It's all there for us. Amen. I want us to stand, our musicians to come. I don't want something locked up in my spiritual womb because I'm not willing to let God do what He wants to do. Will it all end picture perfect? (laughs) Not always. Are we just going to happily ever after? Not all the time. There have been situations, there have been relationships that I have done everything within my power to restore them. After having done all, I can't violate truth, so I have to separate myself from it. Now, I'm not through teaching, so just stay with me two, three more minutes. There is a difference between forgiveness and moving on. You can can forgive somebody completely and move on. If, if they will not work it out, if they just, if there really are, it is really a situation that cannot be reconciled, then there have been times that I've had to just make sure that my heart was right. But I just cannot live the rest of my life held hostage by this. I must move on. And you know what I've been charged with? You haven't forgiven them. Well, that's a very, very foolish statement. I have forgiven. 
But I had to move on. I had to move on. If a snake bites me, I can forgive that snake. But that doesn't mean I'm just going to sweep him up in my arms next time I see him. Because, see, sometimes the nature is still there. And so I'm going to... Is this all right, Brother Rayleigh? Is this... I'm going to move on. But I've got to move on with purity in my heart. I've got to, I can't just pick up my tent stakes and march out. I've got to make sure I've done everything that I can. That's why he said that you need to do everything. All that we can. But when I know that I've done all that I can and everything I've tried has failed, then I've just got to move on with my life. Amen. Amen. I, I must avoid the bait of Satan. I, I know it's been such a long journey. You may not even be able to remember where we started. But I wonder if the Lord would just touch our minds today and help us to try to pull all of this in. Amen. I'll pray about this between now and next Sunday, but we may just do a recap of summary of them all so that we can have a better understanding. But until then, can we just ask God to help us pull this into our spirit in Jesus' name. Lord, I love you today. I'm asking you, God, to help us understand the value, the value of your word. And I pray in Jesus' name. God, that your presence and that your power will give us the wisdom. Help us, God, to not lock spiritual children or spiritual things within our womb because we're unwilling to reconcile. I pray that the spirit of offense, O oh God, can be plucked from our heart and our minds. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806. Or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.